2: Find a location near you at slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. We at the lead play in our offense. Yes, our YN or our tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet to get an isolation with the, with the linebacker. We tell the tackle to take the defensive end if he's over him, if he's not drive down on the first man who is inside. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, we're trying to get him a seal here, and a seal here, and try to run this play in the alley.
2: What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at packers underscore access. You can email us access at gmail.com. You can text us 865 658 5824. Rolling solo tonight. Just want to say, give a quick uh, shout out. Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to Emilio. I know he's got a, a little bit of uh, an issue with, uh, with it, sounds like his grandfather. So he's having to do a little bit of traveling here soon. So just want to let him know we're thinking about him and, uh, Obviously, appreciate everything he does here on the show. He was going to jump on tonight, but uh, uh, as always, man, family comes first. So uh, just thinking about you, buddy, praying for you, and hope everything goes good there. Um, I know Jacob was going to try to jump on, but he is uh, he's still sleeping at the job right now. He may jump on the back half, and Tim's taking the night off. I think he's out there. Uh, I think he's hitting the club or something. Yeah, no, I'm just joking. So we don't know what, what Tim's got going on right now, but he had to cancel. So uh, Greg Rice in the chat says, Clayton, I thought you'd like the Jaws quotes about not being a Bears fan. I will look for more videos for sound uh soundboard drops. Yeah, so so it was Greg Rice that sent me that. Um, you're probably going by a different alias on Twitter, I'm sure. But uh yeah, we uh we're gonna use the heck out of that one, man. Anything jaw is just electric, there's no doubt about it. Donovan Schilling in the chat said, Did anyone else see the thing on Dre's contract and how it doesn't actually make sense to move on this year? Um, I've got my notes right here, Donovan. And <clears throat> when it comes to Devondre Campbell, I'm assuming that's who you're talking about. Um, really what it comes down to is if you cut him out, right, you're only freeing up two and a half million dollars. And I completely agree with the sentiment. It's kind of, kind of what we talked about on the show. Um, you know, for that kind of veteran depth, even if you go out and you draft a linebacker or let's say you sign one in free agency and, uh, and he takes over to Campbell's starting job, you know, to the tune of just freeing up two and a half million, I like the idea of him playing that third linebacker, right? And if we go to a 4-3, he's actually still going to be starting, you know. So let's say they don't go out and seek, you know, uh, another linebacker, right? If that's the case, then it's going to be Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell, and Isaiah McDuffie, right? If they switch to the 4-3 and they cut loose of Devondre Campbell, then they don't really have that that extra backer there, you know, at least – Anyone who's had significant snaps, right? But essentially, what it came up with, what we came up with as far as clearable cap, you could clear up to ten million by restructuring Devondre's contract. Now, obviously, we would never suggest you do the maximum version of that. I think it's very realistic to say you could free up five million from his uh, from his contract and him still be on the roster. That's you know converting base salary, roster bonus over to signing bonus, and then uh, spreading that out over the duration of the contract, that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, all in all, I agree with you, man. I don't think it makes sense to cut him for just $2.5 million to free up. I think I would rather have that veteran presence there in the locker room. Obviously, he's a leader, something that Joe Barry talked about a lot last year. Um, his teammates absolutely love him. He's uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year as far as, you know, representing the Packers, if I understood correctly. So he's just one of those guys you want on the team. Now, with that being said, could they move on from him? Absolutely. You know, Goody may value that $2.5 million more more than, than having someone. On there, right? So, um, someone like him on the roster. So, uh, that's kind of how I see that uh, playing out here. Donovan chilling in the chat said, "Eric's still trying to get AFAM's PTA bikini on. They've been working on it all day. Don't distract them with demands like that. I love it, absolutely love it." Let's see what else we got in the chat here. Um, Donald chimes in and says, "For two million, keep him for depth and mentor the youngins." I agree, man. Totally agree. And Donovan comes back and says, "Agreed, Clayton." Someone on another show said, "Undeniably." He would be gone and didn't think that sounded right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think uh, you know, is there a chance? Yeah. If I had to put a percentage on it, I would say 70% he's back, 30% he's gone, right? And it just depends on, you know, do they do they take a couple swings at linebacker in the draft? Do they pick one up free agency and take a swing if that's the case? Then it makes sense, right? If you've got someone who's gonna pass him on the depth chart, um, even with the four three though, man, you're one injury away, right? If they do switch to the four three, you're one injury away from even even with Devondre being the fourth linebacker on the on the depth chart, you're one injury away from him being in the starting lineup, right? So definitely something to to kind of um, kind of look into, man, for sure. Um, and and again, next season, I think it's I think it's most likely they'll move on from him next year, right? Um, because there's so much more money that will free up next year. But yeah, essentially this year you're uh, you're getting out from under two and a half million dollars. So uh, let's see here. Uh, Reese says, Clayton, you say safety, but I, I really think we need a cover linebacker. You know, when you look at the great 4-3 defenses, um, I know there's a couple, of, a couple of guys that graded out really well for the Jets, right? If I remember correctly, it was Mosley and I think Williams, right? One of the Williams brothers up there. Um, when you look at the 4-3 they run in San Francisco, right? Who's the backer? It's Fred Warner. Um, when you think of, the Legion of Boom defense from the Seattle Seahawks days, right, where you had, um, you know, just one of the best defenses in the league. Obviously, Robert Sala came over from them, goes to San Francisco. He ends up being the D.C. over Jeff Halfley. So you've got kind of those common threads, those ties there. Who was the linebacker in the middle of that Seattle Seahawks defense? It was Bobby Wagner, right? So um, I think it's really, really important if you're going to go to a 4-3 to have that guy in the middle. Now, can Quay be that? It's possible. I just haven't seen it yet there's still several people that are, you know, they kind of speak as if Quay Walker took this huge step this year and I just didn't see it. And, and I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong. It's just, I personally didn't see it. The tackle numbers are great and all, but um, the blown coverages, the bad rum fits, all that stuff, it really, really piles up, man. It doesn't take long at all. And, uh, and you've got more negatives than you got positives going on there for sure. Um, Paul Robertson in the chat said, we don't know how injured Campbell was. There's a chance he'll be better next year. If not, I would like a veteran on the squad while his replacement is drafted. Completely agree. And and that's the thing, too. Like, if, if there's one thing we've learned this year in an up-and-down season, um, people are so quick to say, fire this guy, cut that guy, bench this guy, start Sean Clifford, on and on and on, right? It could be the injury. It really could. So – um, I know when Devondre was healthy there two years ago, he was he was as good as any inside linebacker in the entire league, right? And maybe maybe he fits the four three a little better. I'm not sure. He's kind of that taller, athletic profile, you know, type of linebacker. Um, we'll see how he he might play out there in the four three if indeed we do go to it for sure. So um, let's see what else we got here. Drew says uh, Campbell was so bad. I don't get why we would want to keep him. Get younger, free up the roster spot, save the money. If you're freeing up the roster spot for a better player, absolutely, Drew. If you're freeing up the roster spot for Christian Welch, I just uh, I got to respectfully disagree. That doesn't make your team better, right? Um, in my opinion, anyway, you you may disagree. That's totally cool, man. Um, I'm scared too, Donovan. Donovan says, Clayton, please read Paul's comment. Um, Nah, ain't going to do it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I changed my mind. Everybody in the chat now immediately goes to Paul's comment, right? Um, let's see here. Steve says, uh, McDuffie is getting better and better. I kind of feel like that, too, man. Um, you know, when it really dawned on me about halfway through the season, when we when we started into the second half and the defense really started to struggle, you kind of look up and you go, man, Dre's, Dre's out of position a lot. He looks like he's lost a step. You guys know that play that he, he should have had to pick six and he was just a half a step too late. You know, I, I think that it's injuries and it's a little bit of age, too, right? Um, when you see McDuffie in the lineup, it really felt like they got better when McDuffie was in there. And that's not to say that he's better than Dre. I think it's more along the lines of he was healthier than Dre, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. I think McDuffie is probably better right now. But, again, if you switch to a 4-3, you need all three of them until you find someone to replace them, right? That's the that's the goal there. Um, Antonio in the chat says, Walker is a solid linebacker, but he's not that Mike who's a force over the middle. Yeah, I'm eager to see where they will play him in the 4-3 because, you know, some teams run what we refer to as a 4-3 under. There's other exotic looks. If you were to put him at like Sam and have him as that fifth man on the line of scrimmage at times, Quay might fit that a little bit better where you could just fire him as an extra pass rusher, but also he can kind of already be up in the run fit. One thing about Quay is it's very rare you see him get blocked backwards. It's very rare that you see someone else – out-physical him, right? Um, he's actually a pretty good tackler too when you really break it down. Um, so if you put him closer to the point of attack, maybe he plays better because to me it's the it's the old Mike Wall quote, you know, how you arrive at confrontation determines how you handle confrontation. Kind of feels like Quay gets there a little late, like he's a little late reading the play and by that time he's got a big boy 300-pound lineman blocking down on him. And now you're already kind of washed out of the rum fit. But maybe if he's a little closer to the line of scrimmage, that could that could work, right? Um let's see here. Uh Steve said if Clayton wore the the black eye paint, he would look like McDuffie. Oh, come on now, man. I don't know about all that. Are you kidding me? I'm sure there's a inside joke there somewhere that I missed. But um I've got the I've got the head of a 300 pounds lineman in the and the body of a of a uh middle aged Caucasian male. Not a good combination on the football field. I promise you that. Drew D says, "Free up for a a player to develop. What player is worse than giving up a 155 passer rating? Um, a player that's healthy and gives up a 90 passer rating. Just saying, man. Like you, we understand, Drew. You don't you don't want him on the roster. It's totally cool, man. What we're saying is, if he's if he was playing unhealthy, right? If he was playing injured, then." He's he's most likely better than anything you're gonna find off the street, right? That's just uh again, we can agree to disagree, man. It's totally cool. Totally cool. Uh Doug in the chat says, let's not forget Quay might have the secondary's only pick six this year. He's not slow, man. He's he's got the athletic profile. There's no two ways about it, Doug. He he's a monster out there. You can see why Goody was drawn to him in the draft. It's just, you know, when when he was drafted, I remember our live reaction in, in the uh, in the draft broadcast. We were all immediately like, who? And then when we looked at the profile, I was like, oh, that's such a goodie pick. That's such a goody pick. Because the athletic profile just jumped off the page, right? But the problem is, if you had that athletic profile, why did he fall that far? Why didn't someone else see him with that much value, right? And it sounded like he was rising up draft boards right before the draft. But the only negative to his game was – he didn't really have that natural instinct. It was just he's a physical freak. So uh and who knows, man, maybe year three, maybe year three it actually clicks, right? Um, so we'll uh, we'll see. Now in the chat said the man who does this for a living is convinced we will look at we will look like the Niners D. If that's true, we absolutely need an upgrade next to Quay. Um, yeah, I haven't dug into the 49ers defense that much. Um, it's it's a long time since Robert Sala was out in San Francisco. So I would lean more toward, you know, uh, more toward the Jets-style defense. And maybe there are some similarities there. I know the 49ers definitely have better numbers than the Jets. So if you're telling me we're going to have Niners numbers, sign me up, man. You know, no doubt about that. Um, Let's see here. Reef says, who's the guy that played next to Bobby Wagner? If you're talking about in Seattle, God, his name's on the tip of my tongue. I can see him right now. Um, He's the one who got absolutely burnt by Rob Gronkowski when they split him out wide and one of the few times they played man coverage there in the Super Bowl. I'm trying to think of who it was. I want to say Wright. I could be wrong. W-R-I-G-H-T. Like a KJ Wright or a something like that. A long time ago, though, for sure. Stephen in the chat says, I've seen a lot of mocks with us taking Dejean in the first and Newbin in the second with the early second pick. You know, I would probably be okay with that, Steve. Um, I've actually got an early version of my board here, and they understand that it's nowhere near complete. So these early, uh, you know, reordered numbers are probably excluding some of the top players because I haven't had the numbers in yet. But let's see if he comes in anywhere. Right there, Cooper DeGene, we've got him in number 28 spot, okay? So – Yeah, with us picking 25th, if you looked at it that way, he would be one tier down from the top one, which would be Nate Wiggins. So he's just one tier down. And by the time the draft gets here, who knows, he might be in that top tier of current talent, right? So um, Cooper DeGene, I would be okay with. I'm just not as big on him as others. You know, when I heard people talking about him earlier in the draft process, they made me think it was like he was, you know, a top three corner in this draft. And I definitely don't see it that way. Obviously, the board's way unfinished here. But I got Nate Wiggins above him. Um, we've got uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry up there as well. So there's actually two, according to my board right here, that are listed above him as the board says right now. So, again, we got a lot of a lot of information we got to put in there too. We'll cross-reference it as we get closer to the draft. And um, I've actually got some other draft information here too. I wanted to show you guys kind of the horizontal board and how it works. You, you hear me talk about building my draft board all the time, right? And for those of you who don't know, you, you can have a vertical board where it's basically this right here, what I just showed you, that's a vertical draft board right there. Okay. That's basically, if you look to the far right, the lower the number, the, uh, the, the, the better, the quality of player. Okay. So this is all the positions listed in one column. Right. And it's just real simple. It's just here are all the players in the draft and there's their grades listed out, you know, from best to worst, if you will, with a horizontal board, you separate the horizontal columns into position groups, and then you apply those players in their place, and it shows you exactly where they fall on the board. But it also gives you this really, this, this huge, this zoomed out bird's eye view of, okay, where are the clusters of really good players, really good talent? When is there going to be a run on a specific position? It just tells you so much more information than a vertical board. So what I did was I hopped over to the 33rd team and they've got their first wave of data that has come out um, as far as their draft information and understand all of the players haven't been implemented into the board yet. So it's going to be very bare. But I love that they went ahead and started doing it so you can kind of get a glimpse as to as they build the board in real time. You can see how people fall. Right. So um, when it comes to how the 33rd team does it, they do it exactly the way that NFL teams do. You've got a grading scale, a grading system, if you will. Okay, and I'm going to show you that grading scale right now. This is really cool. I love this type of stuff. This this is the stuff that just really gets me going when it comes to the NFL draft. So here's their grading. scale. I'm going to drop that down. Steve, appreciate the comment, buddy. Um, Let me mark it, though. That way I know where I left off. We'll kind of get back into uh, some of the other comments, too. So. The, the grading scale goes 7.0 plus, okay? And that means immediate starter with all pro potential. That's the grade they've got on. From 6.7 to 6.9, you've got strong starter. From 6.5 to 6.6, you've got lower end starter. From 6.2 to 6.4, you've got a limited starter or multi-position backup. So kind of like that utility player, if you will. Um, from 6.0 to 6.1 is what they refer to as a developmental player from 5.9 or from 5.5 to 5.9. It's considered a backup player. And then at 5.4, it's a priority free agent. Okay. So you can see in, for those of you on the pod, the 5.4 is in dark blue and it fades into light blue, light blue, white, yellow, orange, and then red with red being kind of the hot prospect at 7.0. Uh, plus, which is the immediate starter with the all-pro potential. So if we were to show you what their horizontal board looks like, this is what I'm referring to right here. Okay. If you take a quick look how their horizontal board sits right now, notice on the far left column, you have got the grade itself. So you've got seven plus, right? And you see as their board sits right now, there's only four players that are grading out as a seven plus right now as it sits. Okay. And those players are Caleb Williams, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. You've got uh, Neighbors, the wide receiver from LSU, and then you've got Joe Alt. Also, notice how they uh, they actually have the players too, like by position. Even though they're in the same uh, the same category or the same range of that seven plus, they've got Marvin Harrison Jr. graded higher than Neighbors, but they're still in that tier. And what that simply means is um, is as you go through the draft and you get to those two players, yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. is better than than neighbors, right? But he may be a better fit, though. He may be a better fit, and it's just simply saying, look, yeah, he's better, but you're in the same range. You're in the same ballpark, right, of kind of how you sit there in that regard. And I don't know what's going on with the PC right now, but it is acting really funky. We're getting some flashes and all kinds of good stuff. That's great. Um so Joe Alt being the only tackle according to the 33rd team that's in that 7 plus range. If you go down to 6.9, you've got Adunzi, I think is how you say it, wide receiver from Washington, and then you got Alabama's tackle Latham there in the 6.9 spot. So those are the only two players in the 6.9 spot as it sits right now. And you can kind of see the positions running horizontally, right? What I was talking about there. So it gives you a broader picture of what the draft board is going to look like, okay? That's that's kind of how that comes into play there. Um, I just think it gives you a whole lot more information when you're looking at the draft day process. So what I like to do as far as my draft day um, festivities, if you will, is I've got my own board. I create my own horizontal board. It'll be tacked on the wall behind me, written in, uh, in with grease pen, right like a grease board. And we will be able to look at my board, which is a ton of information into one. I'll have this thirty third team. I'll have their horizontal board, and it'll be printed off and on, on, like a, on like a picture paper, like photo paper, where I can use a grease marker on it as well and, not, and cross them off as we go. So when we're doing our live draft day coverage, I'll have my whiteboard behind me with my horizontal board, and then
1: I'll also have the um... passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us.
2: I'll have the horizontal board behind me. Then I'll also have this printed off version of the 33rd team so we can cross reference. So when we get to a certain pick in the draft, you'll hear me say, all right, my board, here are my top five prospects. Bang, 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 bang. Right. And then let's cross-reference, all right, when it comes to the 33rd team, here is their top prospects. So that's kind of how we uh, we play that out when it comes to the draft day coverage itself. So just wanted to kind of give you guys a quick glimpse at the horizontal board and exactly how it works. Now, if you're interested in how the 33rd team stacks it up, we just mentioned the 6.9 players. Now we're going on to the 6.8 players. You've got Drake May. He's the second highest graded quarterback. He's in the 6.8 range. You've got Brock Bowers, uh, the very first tight end, landed on the board at a 6.8. you got Fashanu and Fuaga at tackle. So they're one tier below Latham. Latham is one tier below alt. And then you hop all the way over to the edge defenders. You've got Turner out of Alabama. You've got Latu out of UCLA. And then go over to the corners. You've got uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry and Nate Wiggins. So you see the cornerbacks, the very first cornerbacks and the first edge defenders, according to the 33rd team, in this early, early, early version of their – horizontal board they're actually two years lower than the top uh the top tier of talent if you will so that's kind of how that plays out we got all in here with us Collie, how are you doing tonight
3: i'm doing all right i'm uh here just working on some valentine's day boxes for my kids never right. stop multitasking so but i'm here to hang out and chat and it's a blast
2: good deal good deal yeah we yeah. were just uh kind of going through looking at some draft board stuff, um, kind of getting a jump on it and explaining how the grading system works. So um, if you want to kind of, I don't know if you're able to, if you want to kind of monitor the chat and or yeah. uh, some okay. chats as we go through, that'd be mm-hmm. cool. So we can just kind of sure. do that. We'll get to some, uh, some other news here as well. Um, matter of fact, let's do this. Let's go to uh, the the coaching news, if you will. Okay. So first of all, some news kind of broke today. Rob Domofsky, Uh, tweeted this out. and He tweeted uh, a couple of replies to his own tweet, too, to just kind of walk you through some of the things that are happening in Green Bay. He said, defensive backs coach Ryan Downard and pass rush specialist Jason Rebervich will remain on the Packers staff under new defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley per a source. So this came from within the building. If Rob reported it, it came from within the building, within the organization. Okay, There also could be more who return, but those two are locked in. So the early tip there sounds like Ryan Downer, we mentioned him earlier today, right, that he 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 you know he may or may not be gone, him and Greg Williams both, and, and I think both of them have ties to Halfley very, very vaguely, if I remember correctly. Uh, seemed like somebody else other than Drew was telling me that on Twitter, too. But nonetheless, if Ryan Downer's safe and pass rush specialist Jason Rebervich are safe, then you don't have to, you know, obviously replace those two guys. You've got your secondary coach in place, and you've got your edge, uh, or I guess you could say, your pass rush specialist in place. Now he went on to say Jerry Montgomery has been hired by the Patriots, per a source. The D line coach slash run game coordinator had been with the Packers since 2015. That was his entry into uh, the NFL after coaching in college. And then he mentioned Montgomery's title in New England uh, will be defensive line coach, per a source. So that tells you right now, seeing that he's not a run a run D coordinator, uh, a uh, yeah a running game coordinator they probably did just tell him, hey, look, uh, go ahead and find some work, Jerry. We're going to let you go. They didn't want to say, hey, he's fired, right? It's kind of how that comes along. Now, you guys heard us talking about Christian Parker as well, right, the, one of the only people that that Matt LaFleur actually interviewed for the D.C. spot. Um, we were kind of holding out a little hope, like maybe he fits on this roster or fits on this this coaching roster somewhere. Um, Don Kleeman tweeted out earlier today, he said, breaking Broncos DB's uh, coach Christian Parker is expected to leave Denver to take a position on the Eagles defensive coaching staff per Dan Graziano uh, of ESPN. So right there you see Christian Parker just took another position with the Eagles, so you can now cross him off that short list as well of potentially joining uh, the Green Bay Packers and their staff. Uh, like I said, anytime you interview anyone, whether it's for a DC spot or whatever, sometimes you can still find them a promotion coming from another team to get them on your staff. You thought highly enough to interview them for the DC job. Then obviously you, you speak pretty highly of them. So we got anything in the chat worth, uh, worth mentioning right now, Carly?
3: Yeah, yeah, there are a few things actually. Um, and I'm not sure how, you know, far back to go, but one of the things here that I really wanted, Okay. Yeah, we'll just just
2: jump into it. I'll get it here. No,
3: yeah, go ahead. You answer on this
2: one. Donovan Schilling said, uh, did anyone else see that thing on Dre's contract that actually makes sense? Okay, that's the one we hit earlier. Got it. So we know right where we left off. That's why I marked him. Um, And we mentioned the one with DeGene. All right, here we go. Paul Robertson says, historically the Packers go heavy on position where there's more prospective talent than normal, i.e. last year's draft had very good tight ends and wide receiver classes. That does seem to be the case, and and I think it's just kind of a testament to how Goody and, and even Ted Thompson did business. Like, we're going to take the best player available. Now, some of these positions are obviously in the first round. It just seems like they're dead set on certain positions in the first round because they don't want to reach too far on positions that maybe aren't as important. This year, you know, if we were to look at that, and again, the information isn't in yet, but if I were to pull up that 33rd team one more time, Let's see which which spot seems to have the most orange, which position, if you were to just kind of glance. To me, I see cornerback, right? Now, top-heavy, obviously tackle seems to be loaded, right? So if you were to start at the top and work your way down, you would say tackle is pretty deep this year. Um, interior offensive mm-hmm. line is kind of deep, too. It seemed like I heard somebody say that on, on Twitter earlier today, too. One of the draft experts said this is one of the deepest offensive line drafts. In a long time. Now, That's you know what? Like, what's yeah, it is. I, I thought the same thing. I thought, boy, Goody's gonna pluck him a few out out of the back mm-hmm. end. I doubt about that. Remember last year, Carly, how tied in, like like Paul uh, mentioned right mm-hmm. here. Last year was good tight end wide receiver class. Tight yeah. end was loaded, obviously. Sam Laporta, Tucker Craft, uh, Luke Musgrave, Michael Mayer,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: Dalton Kincaid, on and on. Look, look at how many on the early board here are actually sitting there. Just two. Brock Bowers and Sanders from mm-hmm. Texas, right? So you can kind of see how that uh, that falls there. And, yeah, I completely agree, Paul. I think it's a good point, man, how uh, it just depends on what the draft is deep at. It's kind of the direction that Goody usually goes in. Donovan Schilling says
3: can – I, can I, Wait, can I mention something with the last one that Paul said? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to feel like as professionals, the people that have been in the business as long as they have, especially like Brian Gutekunst, they have to have – their sights on okay, who are the seniors, who are the juniors, who are the sophomores, and they know these classes that are coming up and potentially who's going to be in each one. And it's just it's just good to think of that they've yeah, they've just got a beat on all right, what's coming up next? And so when they make some decisions where we're like, what the heck are they thinking? <laughs> that yeah. then it, it's like, oh, they are looking way further out than we could. Cause you know that they're, they joined that team, they joined the Packers organization in order, they, everybody wants to leave a legacy, right? They want to be remembered as somebody who did something well that lasted beyond just that year that moment and so you can I think we can have some trust that they are really looking to the future as they look at these draft classes and making their decisions
2: no absolutely the first thing that comes to mind for me Carly is Jaden Reed you know (laughs) you guys watched it last year when we did our draft coverage when they traded back I went okay they got they got somebody to like I glanced back at my board I'm like okay and then Mm -hmm. when they traded back and Jalen Hyatt was there I was like okay, this has got to be Jalen Hyde. And then they traded back again. And I went, I I remember snapping back at the board and going, who are they on? They're on someone that no one else is on. And that Mm -hmm. person ended up being Jaden Reed. Now, when you dug into the information, it's like his 2022 tape wasn't great, right? So it was like, man, they felt like they reached a little bit. I went back to Mm -hmm. 2021. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So what I did this year with my board is I implemented PFF grades from 2021, as well as, I'm I'm sorry, from 2022, as well as 2023. So I went back one year. I'm like, this is not going to happen to me again. So Mm -hmm. we're a little better prepared this year. And we got a small portion of the board percentage that's going to go into the final grade that actually includes two years of PFF grades. And that's going to bring some people down too, right? I want to know that information. I want to know that, hey, they, they had one good year, right? That's great. It's better than none. But if they had a really bad junior year, you know, I want to know that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what happened there with uh, with Goody for sure. Um, yeah. Donovan in the chat says, if the average draft has a 70% hit rate, 70% of the time, it'll work all the time, Steve. Wait a, a second.
3: Year. I think he meant to say 65% actually.
0: Uh, oh,
2: 65%. 65%. <laughs> we-
3: Tim's, Tim's not here. I just, I have to, I have no, to help out. No, you got out. to say,
2: fire him away. I'm all about it. You can never get too much 65% from Mark Worth. Yeah, yeah, so 70% hit rate, 70% of the time. um, I'll tell you this, man. The number I kept hearing was 30%. Like, if you you hit on 30% of your picks, that's a good year. That just kind of shows you how tough it is uh, with the NFL draft. I don't know if that number's true or not. That was the number that was getting tossed around a couple years ago. Um, I know this last draft, though, Goody, Absolutely. Crush. There's no doubt about that. Donald in the chat said, can you poll questions for the chat? Might be fun to do a mock and poll each pick and let the chat decide each round. We can do that on the YouTube side, Donald, but the problem is the program I'm using is uh restream and it kind of takes everything and puts it out in, in a, in video form to multiple sites, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, if they're connected. So I don't, it doesn't give you the opportunity to create a poll here in, in, uh, in restream. So, or not restream, but uh stream I apologize. We used to use restream. So we can't do it in here, but next time when we go live I'll, what I can do is when we've got multiple hosts, I can hop over to YouTube and try to create a poll. That would be cool. But yeah, I agree. I think it would be awesome to, uh, to do kind of a PTA mock draft together. I think that would be absolutely awesome. And it would probably be easier if we had multiple people watching the chat and we could just do it that way. People can just rattle off the names, majority wins. We just have to do it in a timely manner so we're not going too long, right? So um, I think it's a great idea, though, no doubt, Don Appreciate it, buddy. Steve in the chat says, we went receiver heavy last year. I think we go heavy on the secondary this year. I could see that, Steve. Um, we definitely went heavy on receiver last year. And and it the reason – some people go, why are we taking multiple swings at these positions – you spend all that time like, yes, you don't draft for need, but your your board is definitely built based off of need. And what I mean by that is when they're going out scouting, they're scouting all positions. This army of scouts are out there, but they also know they've probably been given an assignment from the front office straight from Brian Gutekunst that, hey, look. we really, really need to get this position, this position, and this position right. Let's do extra work there. So you feel a little more confident on those positions. Therefore, they're going to raise on your board a little bit more because you're you're more confident in the information you've got on those specific spots. That's how you end up taking multiple swings because you end up with these clusters like you did last year with both Musgrave and Kraft. You go, okay, we got a similar grade on both of them. Let's just take a swing on both of them. If you miss on one, you're covered on the other. You know, it's uh, – They've done that for for the longest time, and that's why you see they'll miss on certain positions. But typically, they've taken taken that position multiple times in the draft. They'll hit on one of them, so um, you're just kind of covering your bases all the way around. Uh, let's see here, what else we got in the chat? Um, Peter says, "I think Quay's biggest issue is, in my belief, is he doesn't have enough discipline and realizes on his uh, realizes on his natural talent. When comes when comes the gene, I think." we will be better – he will be a a better safety than corner, I think is what he's saying. Okay. I've heard that. I've heard that he's kind of interchangeable. I don't know, man. Uh, Sometimes you got to be careful with that stuff because – and he he may be a great safety, but if you're not – well, he's not really a corner. He's not really a safety. Sometimes you find yourself kind of sitting back going, okay, maybe he's not nothing. I'm not saying he's going to be a bad pro. It's just if he doesn't fit that spot exactly – you end up chasing your tail. I, I maybe I've just got so much uh I don't know, so many bad memories of Demarius Randall and and Haha Clinton Dixon these guys they said the same thing about those guys and they just completely you know were were really nothing after a few years in the league. That's what worries me a little bit about that whole oh he's interchangeable, you can play him here, you can play him there. Now Brian Branch last year was unique because he had a he had a cornerback build but he tackled like a safety. That's a whole different ball game there right? when you when you say, "Okay, this guy can play the slot and then go back and play safety because he's an excellent tackler. And maybe Degene is. I haven't looked into him too much, but Brian Branch was a uh, generational talent when it comes to tackling. Many people don't realize that he had the highest tackle percentage of any player at any position, including linebackers in the PFF era. His tackle percentage, like he missed fewer tackles percentage wise. Than any other player in the PFF era. That's why I was like standing on the table for Brian Branch last year. And lo and behold, you know I've actually got a clip. It's funny we're even talking about this, but like you guys remember the Christian McCaffrey run, the the touchdown run in the uh, in the divisional round. I'm gonna. Pull How could it up. we forget? Yeah, I'm gonna pull it up. <sighs> here. I want you to key in on this as a DC as a, as a coach. Right, you're trying to line this up to play the run perfect. Okay, look, he's scanning out. They're going to an eye. All right, he told him to stay put. Mm-hmm. I want you to look at this setup there is nowhere to run look, look at this look at savage mm-hmm. you got exactly what you wanted you got your safety coming down in the box to tackle mm-hmm. this running back and watch what happens that's mm-hmm. why i wanted brian branch <laughs>
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: look at bodies look at Keyshawn's feet over his head like this team was not a good tackling defense last year and that's why You know, that's why I was so up in arms about, you know, well, we just can't take Brian Branch. We can't take Brian Branch. He doesn't fit the metrics. It's like Mm -hmm. Savage fit the metrics. You know what I'm saying? And here we are again. And
3: McCaffrey, though, McCaffrey, like what he can do with his body is just like otherworldly. It is out there. Did you see it? Like he bounced on his head and only missed one play back. Like I want to find people that can do that, that has something <laughs> that, whatever it is that just like pops out as like super flexible or something that they're not going to get injur- injured as much. Something. It's like you can work on this. You can even improve fitness. You know, you can improve all of that, but these, these things that are in the makeup of yeah. players that you really can't quantify. That's what I want to look for.
2: Yeah. And, and you got to give Mac- McCaffrey props for sure. Like even on this play, I mean, he's shifty, but you got to be able to close his tackle. Like, that's that's just horrible tackling tape horrible so didn't mean to bring up bad memories just wanted to point that out like when we're talking about someone being a generational talent from a tackling standpoint whether you're playing nickel or safety it's something that's important that we kind of overlook especially in those first three rounds because we're so focused on athletic profile right that's the that's the big issue there so um i'll tell you this though um speaking of uh athletic profile and people kind of uh outperforming, I guess you could say. There was someone that put together a quick little clip of Tay Wicks just absolutely scorching people in route running. And if you look here, I think it was actually at Really Rich X2. I want to give credit here. Posted this video and did this cut up on Twitter. At Really Rich X2 um, did a Wicks cut up. Let's watch this real quick. So, obviously, Wicks is at the bottom right here. He's kind of playing that boundary receiver, if you will. I get, yeah, that would definitely be. Well, we're in the middle of the field. It could be, it could be either way, but you see the close split. Look at Wicks at the bottom. God, you love to see it. Anytime you've got a DB reaching like that, it's over. Game over. Obviously, that was that double crosser. Here he is at the bottom. Little shake. Gone. Right here. Oh Lord, turned him around completely. That, That route right there might be my favorite Tay Wicks route. Watch him turn this guy around. Jab inside. Completely turned around. I mean, look at the DB's positioning. His back is (laughs) through the receiver. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely torched him. Absolutely torched him. All right, so there's Tay Wicks. And, again, why did Tay Wicks fall so far in the draft? People were going, Clayton, like, how does he last that long? You know, you got to steal with him, right? That's Goody being Goody. I got you. He fell because his athletic profile wasn't great. But if you watch the tape, you can see he's one of the best route runners in the entire draft. It's, It's why Greg Cosell said this kid gets it. He understands the nuances of running routes. Look at him. Look at that right there. Foot in the ground. Didn't get the ball, but still just absolutely scorched him. Watch right here at the top. Gone. That's man coverage right there. That one was sick. Like, look at that separation right there. That's man coverage, right? And this is kind of goes with what Coach Haddad was talking about the other day, right? Receivers trying to set up corners. He's playing with a little outside leverage. He's going to give him that outside of touch, and then bang. Look at that. Beautiful. Again at the bottom, oh, yeah, a little shake up top. This kid's going to be good, man. I could watch him run routes all freaking day long. Again at the bottom, gone. His release package is just, I mean, it really looks like a young Tay. That, that dig right there, that's your guy on that slot cross. Romeo Romeo can do it too, but when you run a slot cross concept, imagine there's a crosser in front of this backside dig. Look at that separation, bang, right there. Look at that window to throw that ball. Like, All mean, right, so
3: I have I have a question. So, yeah. what when people say release package, I I don't understand what that means or why. Like I see, like I get release, right, but I don't mm-hmm. understand why they say release package.
2: So, just like anything in football, Carly, um, you're like when you talk about pass rushers, right? It's mm-hmm. they've got moves upon the great pass rushers. They've got their kind of their their patent move, their trademark move, and as they develop other moves. You now can set up that move. So, like you can go from a defensive line standpoint, you can go with the, you know, like a swat and swim. Whereas, essentially, the ball snapped, you fire. You're going to engage with with the lineman before you engage. You're going to smack the outside shoulder and swim over the top. That's called a swat and swim. All right, that's just one move. You got the 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 punch uh, punch pull and rip. Right where Mm -hmm. where the defensive lineman will actually run up. Punch the offensive lineman like he's gonna do a bull rush. He'll grab his jersey without being called for holding by the way. And so he'll yeah. punch, yeah. he'll pull him, and then he'll rip underneath. That's so another. basically
3: it's all it's like the entire set of moves that he you know he is able to do confidently, and therefore you can just make up plays knowing, hey, if this is in this situation, he's just gonna be able to handle it.
2: Bingo, and and right. what these receivers will do the entire game, just like the pass rush, and the reason I mentioned that. Is they'll set them up with moves only to counter later with with a with another move. You know, they may start with their first, like watch his, watch his release, right? When we say release package, he shows multiple different release packages on these routes. Watch him up top here, real quick. Mm-hmm. So you notice he kind of jabs outside, little stutter step, and then breaks mm-hmm. in, right? Mm-hmm. That's a part of his release package. Let's go to the next one. I haven't even seen the next one yet. All right, so here he is. They weren't playing press on him there. Let's find another one where he was actually playing press. All right, here we go. Here's another one pressed. You see him up top here. little stutter inside and go. That's what we mean by release package. So, um, Tell you, though, I'm really excited about Devontae. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Dante and Wicks. I keep wanting to say Devontae Adams. That's who he reminds me of. But dude's going to be absolutely awesome. Wicks, just Wicks. That.
3: He's going to burn. You know, he's going to burn like fire.
2: Call yes. Wicks. Absolutely. I like it. that's Hey, that's a T-shirt up there, bro. There you go. That's a T-shirt. Um, so back to the coaching staffs. Um, one thing I wanted to hit on, too, the Giants actually hired um, Shane Bowen. Okay, Shane Bowen is now their new defensive coordinator. Diana Rossini had, uh, had reported it, said the Giants have hired former Totten's defensive coordinator Shane Bowen to be their defensive coordinator per source. Both GM Joe Joe Sheon, I think is how you say it, and Brian Dayball stressed the importance of taking their time in this process. They have now replaced Wink Martindale. So you got Wink Martindale, who stormed out of the meeting. They said he disappeared to Florida. Nobody's seen him since. They replace him now with Shane Bowen. So we've been kind of keeping track of this and what's going on with the coaching ranks. And here is the updated uh, coaching board. I went ahead and threw Shane Bowen on there myself. So now the New York Giants coaching staff is complete. They've got Brian Dayball at head coach, Mike Kafka still at offensive coordinator. He's also the offensive play caller. And they now have Sean, uh, Shane Bowen at DC. So the only other DC spots that are left are in Dallas and it seems like Seattle. Seattle's also looking, I think, for an OC too, if I remember correctly. So The reason we bring that up with the DCs is because we're still looking to fill our our defensive line coach, right? You guys know we interviewed and Dirty, just like we talked about Christian Parker. Christian Parker just got a job now with the Eagles. We're looking at and Dirty. What if we did bring in and Dirty to be the new defensive line coach? I think there's a slight chance for that. Now, is there a chance that he could get promoted to DC? I think it's highly unlikely, but he could still get a promotion to block that. We talked about that on the morning show. Um, I think they said the early... Uh, The early candidates for the Dallas, D.C. job, I know one of them is Zimmer from uh, Minnesota, who was the head coach at Minnesota there a few years ago. There was someone else, too, that they were looking to bring. I can't remember the name escapes me, but and Dirty has not been brought up as their D.C., so I still think there's a slight chance we could bring him in as a potential defensive line uh, coach candidate. So just something to kind of keep our eye on there as well um, as we move forward. Now, you know, we talked about Wink Martindale, I thought this was kind of wild right here. You know, Mike Vrabel obviously doesn't have a job. Um, ML Football tweeted this out and put, Mike Vrabel, here's a report, they said. Mike Vrabel is being being a, quote, large person scared away some teams in certain ways from hiring him as head coach, one NFL GM told Diana Rossini. Quote, he's a very large human being and can be very intimidating to people in the, in an organization that are going to be a part of these decisions, that is a factor, you know. He had a run-in with the GM down there in Tennessee. I think they got rid of the GM, and then he still couldn't get along with the new staff. Mike Vrabel was from the old school approach of, "Hey, I'm in charge. I'm calling the shots. Everybody, shut up and listen to me." And that, and in today's NFL, it's just something that it's they're few and far between coaching hires. So I bring that up because Wink Martindale's out of a job now, right? He he's not even a DC anywhere. Some people would claim he would be a good head coach. Now you got Mike Vrabel. They're both kind of a similar personality, that top A personality, right, that alpha, if you will. So kind of just shows you the NFL going in a little bit different direction. I know many people were wanting Mike Vrabel as D.C. That kept getting brought up. Why don't we make him our D.C. in Green Bay? It was never going to happen, one, because Mike Vrabel wants to be a head coach and he's not looking to take a step back, and, two, you would distract me with that. It's absolutely awesome. I love it. You're muted right now, Carl. You're muted.
3: Bobby. Bobby has to join in.
2: <laughs> got it. Sorry. <laughs>
3: Sorry.
2: So, Wink Martinville, <laughs> very similar to Mike Vrabel in that sense of, you know, not being able to get a head coach. Mike Vrabel also, this got widely reported that when when Coach LaFleur took the job with Green Bay, there was rumors that they were going to replace Matt LaFleur anyway. So, him and Vrabel didn't see eye to eye that one year they worked together in Tennessee is what is what I was hearing. So there was really no chance that Vrabel was ever going to be the D.C. for multiple reasons, but again, it's just something uh, worth mentioning that you've got two very, very qualified coaches, both on the defensive side of the ball, really. Obviously, Mike Vrabel played defensive line and uh, and hybrid linebacker for for uh, um, for the Patriots under Bill Belichick, so he's kind of that Belichick disciple. I think it was his first year in Tennessee as head coach. He won coach of the year. Qualified coach, but People don't want to work with that stuff. Now also, you've got these front offices like Lombardi, Michael Lombardi says they're protecting their desk, right? Like they don't want someone mm-hmm. to come in and go, oh well, no, what's he do? Yeah, he's not doing his job. Well, let's get rid of him. So these yeah. they all kind of camp up, right? And protect yeah. their job. So um just kind of the politics of the NFL. <sighs> pretty wild. Um All
3: right, I gotta show this. Um Diamond says, can Bray will come play linebacker for us?
2: Hey. He could probably uh, say it. I about it's said that. Not
3: intimidating, you know. Why not? He could
2: probably tackle no better than like some it. of the some of the guys on the roster, to be honest with you. So uh, yeah, yeah, he was a he was a lot of fun to watch. If you if you never got a chance to watch Mike Rabel play, man, he was just a a gritty player. They said he and Tom Brady used to go at it on the practice field too. They were just he was kind of that guy on defense, and and Brady obviously was the guy on offense that uh, they would go back and forth all the time. Um, I think Vrabel's a good coach, it's just you've got to find the right fit and you've really got to marry up the head coach with the front office and their philosophy, their vision for the team, right? That's that's Mm one of the things that are very, very important. Speaking of uh, philosophy and vision and and not having any, um, our boy Colin Cowherd's back at it again. Um, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Carly. I actually put a tweet out earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and share the screen here if you'll just make sure that you can see this. All right, I'm going to go full screen for everybody. And I'll start it over here. But Colin Cowherd, this first video I'm going to play you guys, was after reports came out of OTAs. It might have been early training camp. But regardless, this was earlier in the year. This is what Colin Cowherd had to say about the Green Bay Packers.
4: (laughs) Matt LaFleur says Jordan Love has made some really significant strides this week. Like literally strides? Like he's running and he's his strides are <laughs> I have never sold my stock on a football team in an OTA faster than I'm selling Green Bays now. So here's the last four headlines that we basically have on Jordan Love. remember this one March twenty eighth? We all have to kind of temper expectations for Jordan Love. We do? I don't even have high expectations. You want me to temper my mediocre ones? Remember the next headline? May 23rd. Matt LaFleur on Jordan Love. A lot of good things. A lot to clean up. Really? It's year four. He's not even playing in games regularly. What's there to clean up? Footwork? It's year four. All right. So, obviously,
2: he's just going in on Mm -hmm. Jordan
4: there, right? Dogging him.
2: Well, this was just the other day. I watched Green Bay. I think it might have been. I watched Green Bay. I think it might have been yesterday. Listen to him now. Think about what he just said. There's not a team in the league that I'm selling stock on quicker than the Green Bay Packers. And Jordan Love, Mm -hmm. you know, is just so far from being a starting quarterback, right? Here's what he had to say now. Check this out.
4: But I watched Green Bay, and you know my takeaway on this is, and I know I don't want to pick on anybody because I know you all think uh, Aaron Rodgers, Colin, you don't like him. I got problems with him. I'd vote him into the Hall of Fame. It's like Russell Westbrook. He's a Hall of Famer. I'm not denying that. I think Westbrook actually had a good year. But when I watch Green Bay, my takeaway is, why in the world did Aaron leave? <laughs> this O-line, this coach, Aaron Jones, these receivers, I mean, Green Bay's got dudes. It's, there's a very obvious window opening up with Green Bay. And I think they look at it now and wonder if they should have moved off Aaron two years ago. I mean, th- th- this is it's amazing when the Green Bay quarterback actually doesn't check out of design plays how good of a coach Matt LaFleur is. But, I mean, if you go around the NFL, find me the teams that draft and develop offense better than Green Bay. I'm sure you could go find a couple, but they're really good at it.
2: So, obviously, Mr. Colin Coward's uh, got a change of opinion, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Just wild. Like, you can go pull any video on the Packers from Colin Coward and then go back six months later, and you would think, does he not remember talking about this? It's just constant, constant, complete. It's one thing to say, hey, I was wrong about this, but – when you say it with such arrogance, such confidence, as if, <laughs> what what did you expect? This is what we expect. So, of them.
3: so wow. Clayton, I got to say, I think I think part of that, I'm going to try and give him a little grace here. Like, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Totally understand. Totally agree. But I think that, like, when you live that world in the mainstream media, you have to say everything like that. Like, mainstream humility does not last very long in mainstream media. You don't get very far. And so you have to come across as an expert for those people that are listening for the very first time. And you have to keep your takes consistent with the breaking news every day. So, like, could I do that? Absolutely not. Like, I think it's a terrible job. And the fact that he does it the way he does, you know, like, whatever. But I think that's probably why, is he just has to stay consistent with it. And he probably... He might not even remember what he said because he has so many ideas does. in his head. They probably fly in and out so fast that he just can't keep track of them anymore.
2: <laughs> Mano in the chat. My, just, my
3: just my two cents.
2: Mano says Coward gets zero grace, LOL, but I appreciate the <laughs> try. So, yeah.
3: Thanks, Mano. Uh, Thanks, Mano. I appreciate it.
2: That's the other thing, too. Like I said, it's amazing what happens when he doesn't check out of the plays. And it's like, you didn't watch Packers this year because we watched Jordan check out of plays all year yeah. long. How many yeah. times have we see him walk to the line? Like I, we pointed out in that one play, he literally changes the play, gets Wicks in motion, tells the Y to stay in safe, bam, touchdown.
3: Clayton, he's family. probably not actually watching the games.
2: Oh, he definitely isn't. Yeah, I he's listening
3: to other people that yeah. don't really know what they're talking about. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't listen to him. So
2: i seen that come across the wire. Someone sent it to me in a DM and I was like, oh, we got, I I know I can pull a video from earlier this year because he was just completely down on the Packers. At one point he was talking about how stupid the Packers were for moving on from Aaron Rodgers. And now all of a sudden it's, whoo, here we go. Um, Let's see here.
3: Deadfish says uh, he gets paid not to remember. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. When it's all about the money, you'll just say whatever people want. And I hope he's, I hope he's happy when he retires. We'll just say that. Yeah.
2: Drew D says coward loves the strategy of saying opposite opinions and then bringing up how right he was after the fact. That's the problem. That's mm-hmm. the part that bothers me is how it's just like so matter of fact when he revisits something that he was dead wrong on. It just blows. Yeah. My mind for Sure. But uh, anyway, um, I know the chat was lit up in here tonight. I, I wish we could have gotten to some more chats, but uh, obviously it gets away from us pretty quick there when we're trying to mm-hmm. hit some other content. Jake Shavink in the chat says, I'd say there's a difference between checking out of plays uh, with 10 and 12. The latter might have been a bit more rogue. Um, yeah, I mean, LaFleur is on the record saying Aaron's got complete command of the offense, right? The whole issue I have with it, Jake, was if you don't want him checking out, then tell him don't check out. And if the answer is well, it's Aaron Rodgers, he's not going to listen, then we need to move on. Right. Mm-hmm. But Coach LaFleur made it really, really clear this is Aaron's offense. You have the right to do whatever you want to do in it. It's like uh, letting a puppy pee on the rug for six months and deciding to bust a rear end one day all of a sudden. That puppy's gonna look at you like, Hey, what's the deal here? What are we doing? Like this is this is life. This is how we approach it. So um, yeah. The whole thing with that too is is having the plays baked in. You know, they come to the line Mm -hmm. with two plays, right? You got it. Typically, you got a can, and then you've got a couple of check with me's they can go to as well. I'm not a big fan of it personally, unless you've got someone like Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady that's so long in the tooth that hey, they're smart enough, they got the football, football IQ to get you in and out of the right looks at the right time. I think it's one of the reasons why the offense struggled so bad early uh, earlier in the year too. Um, you know, last year too, it's just kind of mm-hmm. hard to judge anything with the broken thumb and everything else that went wrong too. Leading the league in drops, there's just so many different things where it's like, I, I'm just at the end of the day, I'm so impressed with Matt Lafleur and what he's done. It's just unbelievable, like how he how bad that offense was in the first third of the season. And for him to just pull it together when everyone else was saying, well, they're young, they're young, they're young. And he was like, that is not an excuse. We're going to we're going to get this mm-hmm. thing figured out right now. Um,
3: can I can I mention something, Clayton? Yeah, I'm going to say I was wrong. Like, you know, that I was texting you being like, what the crap is Matt doing? He's asking them to do so much. And he's saying, trust the process. But does at what point do we say the process actually doesn't work? And then it started working like I was wrong. And I, I mean, I should have done that. knows a heck of a lot more than I do about (laughs) football, but I'm so glad to be wrong. Right. I'm really, really glad to be wrong, but I was. And so, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was crazy to think that that process and to just to see it work out was, I'm really glad.
2: And they did, they made a lot of adjustments. They made a whole Mm -hmm. lot of adjustments all year long. Like I said, the, the running game, the run blocking scheme was way more complex early in the season. It worked against the bears because the bears suck. Um, and then you seen other, you know, you seen the complexity of the blocking scheme with, you know, trying to run the pin and pull when we weren't prepared to do it, trying trying to run a little power in there. You were trying to go duo from time to time. You were still trying to work your inside zone. You seen very little outside zone with the exception of the pin and pull. Um, and then it was just it was like, Okay, let's tone this back a little bit, let the let the offense get their legs underneath them. And as soon as they did, then the defense started staggering. So um just a wild season though. That's That might be my favorite Packers season outside of the Super Bowl year since I've been a fan. I've been a fan since 03. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, like never at any point was I stressed out this season. And I know a lot of fans were, but every week there was never a point where we got got to the point where it's like, oh, man, this season is going to – this is going to finish really bad. It was like we're getting answers. We kept saying it every week on the postgame show. All right, we got another piece of the puzzle in place. We know what we got here now. We know what we got there now. You know, by the time you get to the back third of the of the season, and everyone, we kind of came to the realization that all right, look, probably need to move on, get us get us another DC. Um, I don't think it's all his fault, mm-hmm. but something's got to change. Something's got to change. And then, of course, the defense starts playing, and made it a little bit difficult there at the end. Like, are we are we making the right move? But uh, mm-hmm. again, man, Jeff Halfley, he's got to come in here and produce a top ten scoring defense. If he doesn't, we took a step back. It's that simple. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope for, for LaFleur's sake, he, he does. And that was the thing, too, that bothered me early in the year as we get ready to wrap up here, um, was people calling for LaFleur's job was just mind-boggling to me. I was sitting back like, he's got the youngest team in the league. He's got mm-hmm. a first-year starter at quarterback. All these injuries on defense. Everybody keeps talking about the, the multiple first-rounders on defense. But, man, every I mean, at one point, each of them were banged up and not on the field. Mm-hmm. Um it just I was I was really I was beginning to get aggravated because it was like if LaFleur takes the fall for this and this was the roster that Goody built and we're just we're not even gonna give him one full year to try to recover from having the youngest roster in the league. I, I was gonna be tore up over it. Um mm-hmm. it was just cool to see Matt keep battling though, man. He put on the blinders mm-hmm. and in the middle of suspending Jair Alexander and getting that cleaned up too it's just like
3: wow yeah, for what, sure.
2: What a great job coaching, man.
1: Absolutely awesome.
3: Um, hey, and there's a lot of there's a there's some really great and deep questions in the chat. Can the guys like email them to you, and then we could maybe bring them up in future in future shows so that we can address them better and more in depth? What do you think?
2: Um, if you if you email me a question, if anyone emails me a question, um, we try to work it into the show if we can. Mm-hmm. That yeah, we could try to do that. It's no problem. Um, like I said, I, I'm sure there's some good ones in there too. Um, in the Mm -hmm. chat we try to hit them in real time because you know how it is by the time the next show hits we're like on to something else ron samble Mm -hmm. says something here this might be breaking news he says olivadati to the seahawks um so if we go let me see i think i've got the screen grab right here let's pull it up our coaching staff you guys uh, heard me mention earlier about our linebacker coach i was a little concerned about right yeah kirk olivadati um is -hmm. he gone ron is that true If, if you would confirm
3: yeah, um, check.
2: Yeah. Someone, someone get confirmation in the chat, because if that's the case, we talked about it earlier today. Um, we were talking about how inside linebacker coach is going to play way different in a 4-3 than a 3-4. Um, this would make sense to me if they did decide to move on from him or or gave him. Obviously, they gave everyone the ability to seek uh, another position. So um, if we can get some kind of confirmation on I'll, I'll try to go to Twitter myself here. Um, we'll keep an eye on the chat too. Let's just check it out real quick and see uh, what mm-hmm. happened. I imagine it'd be one of the beat beat reporters that would report it. Let me go to Rob Demosky first here. See what he says. Um, nothing there. Nothing with Rob. Nothing with Matt Schneiman yet. Um, no, I'm not seeing anything, man. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't see anything just right off the bat. I don't see a whole lot either.
2: Not. He said, according to Silverstein. So let me go check Ooh. out Tom Silver.
3: You said he's good. He's good. Spoon. Spoon. Spooner. Something like that.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Spoons off.
3: Spoon, um, yeah.
2: Let's see here. Yep. Here we go. All right. So let me uh, let me grab it. A... Actually, I could probably just share this. I'll just read it. We're out, we're out of time anyway. Tom Silverstein says, as new DC Jeff Halfley builds his staff, two Packers defensive assistants uh, who will not return are passing game coordinator Greg Williams and inside linebackers coach Kirk Olavodati, Um A source said. Ola Vedati will join the staff of the new Seahawks coach, Mike McDonald. So there you go. Um, good stuff. So inside linebacker coach out and Greg Williams is out. That doesn't surprise me um, at all there. Again, the Greg Williams was kind of brought in to help with the Fangio style. And obviously we've moved on from that. So, uh, again, Ron, thank you so much, buddy. That's, uh, that's good stuff breaking that right here on the show, man. Really, I think it was Ron that broke it. Was it, some, was it someone else? I know Ron mentioned the name there at the end. Yeah, yeah it was Ron. Yeah, it was Ron. Yeah, Ron <laughs> Stamble. Thank you for that, Bub. So we'll get this image updated here as we're letting go of Kirk Olavadotti and then obviously Greg Williams, the passing game coordinator. So who is going to be the new passing game coordinator? Who's going to be the new inside linebacker coach? That's what we're coming down to here. Um, I'd like to get an update on Baltimore's coaching staff. That, that might be what we lead off with in Good Morning Lambo because – um, you know, you guys know that we were big on Chris Hewitt, which he probably isn't going anywhere. He was already the passing game coordinator. Denard Wilson, he got a job somewhere as D.C., so we couldn't poach him. I'm eager to see who they bring in. Maybe they go with someone from the Jets. Maybe they go with someone from the 49ers. You know, that could be the case. So, uh yeah, I just I just about mm-hmm. said, what if we tried to get Johnny Holland up here to be our linebacker coach? But that would be a lateral move. That's probably not going to happen. So, Dreaming over here. Just streaming, Carla. You know how it is. uh, I know. We'll get the X's updated there for sure. Um, Appreciate everybody hanging out with us tonight. This was a lot of fun. Uh, got a lot of information covered. Kind of last second we had it, like I said, the guys couldn't make it on. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, I think we made the best of a of a uh, hectic situation here. Trying to just make sure nothing else in the chat we've seen. So that should be good. All right, cool. Yeah, Wilson's the D.C., as Peter said, Wilson. Bernard Wilson is the D.C. in Tennessee, so that one, obviously, probably going to come from – might, it might come from his own staff in uh, in B.C. too, Carly. Might, might see a Boston College coach or two come over, right? That could be yeah. the case. Or maybe someone that uh, – maybe someone that he coached with there briefly at Ohio State. That could be the case wherever they're floating around at. Um, yeah, you know, we we did pull up a couple. Let's just take a quick glance, really quick here. Um, we had a couple of coaches here. These were the guys that I had mentioned from B.C. Uh, it's uh, it's Vince Ogabasi um, was the defensive line coach at B.C. We have a defensive line spot open, right? One of the co-defensive coordinators was Sean Dugan. Um, he was the linebacker coach at B.C. Keep that in mind. And then defensive backs coach, co-defensive coordinator, Azar Abdul Rahim. Isn't that weird? So. Their D line coach that he had at BC is out there to be poached. Their linebacker coach, which we just let Olavadi go, is out there, and then you've got a DB coach, which we just let go of uh, our passing game coordinator. So, uh, hmm, something to keep an eye. on. So. Yeah, for sure. You got anything else, Carly? Anything else you want to
3: hit on? Yeah, but it'd be another ten minutes. So we can save it for another. No, show. What?
2: You say you need? Yeah, ten minutes. Go ahead.
3: All right. So uh, I just wanted to mention here that I was watching I was watching the um the Pat McAfee show earlier today and they had um what's his guy? Riley, what's uh oh, I'm blanking on his first name? Something Riley on. He's the head coach Lee. at USC. Lincoln yeah, Lincoln Riley. Riley, where uh Caleb Williams is playing and so they have they asked him some really hard, really good questions. I feel like they they do the good job of really asking the stuff that maybe pisses people off, but no one cares because you know they've got a great following and he was saying some stuff about how and they basically said like is there any truth to this idea that he's not going to the bears like he doesn't want to do that and um Riley basically said like he is focused on winning which wasn't a yes or no right like he's right. was focused on winning he's gonna go and the fact that he really values continuity we saw him follow, follow another guy around and so this guy went to the commanders I don't know it was just it was really exciting because it left open a lot of stuff but it was like hmm there, there's a lot of possibilities and he also talked about um, college football and how kind of messed up it is with all the different regulations and things and the money and he also talked about how they really he really thinks that they're going to be going towards some sort of like a melding of systems that college will become more like professional where there will be maybe a commission or some head person that makes the decisions. Sorry, I'm talking really fast. And they all have to abide by them. So it was just it was really cool. And I want to know your thoughts and other people's thoughts. Cause it yeah, was, I, this was I really watched
2: that interview too. And it, it kind of gave you mm-hmm. a glimpse into, you know, Pat pointed out too how college football has kind of become the wild, wild west. And and coaches like yeah. Jeff Hafley are, are going, Hey, look, I'm done with this. This is too too difficult. It's like as soon as you get your recruiting class built, other teams come in and poach them. There's no structure, uh, all that. But yeah, with the with the whole Caleb Williams thing. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating because there's been rumors all the way back to the college season last year that he wouldn't play for Chicago and it never got confirmed. Everybody was saying, oh, it's just trash, trash sites that were saying it. There's no truth to it, this and that. Right. Mm-hmm. But the way he answered that question, he didn't shoot it down. Did he, Carly?
3: No, he didn't.
2: So it kind of makes you think. Now, here's the thing, too. They were going after Cliff Kingsbury, right?
0: Mm-hmm. They were
2: going after Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury ended up signing with the Washington football team, if I remember correctly. Is that right? I think he went there, if I remember. So mm-hmm. if you looked at the draft order, obviously Chicago's got the number one pick. He may buck on him. He may buck on him and go, no, I want to play in Washington with Cliff Kingsbury. Because Caleb Williams, that's something else Pat asked him, if I remember correctly. Caleb Williams actually tweeted out after Cliff got the job in Washington. So he tweeted something like congratulating him. So you've got mm-hmm. all these rumors that yeah. take- Caleb doesn't want to play for Chicago. And then yeah. you've got him, the guy that Chicago was trying to get, it's almost like if they took Cliff to Chicago, then it was a done deal. Caleb was going to go with Cliff there. Well, now Cliff gets the job in Washington and people go, hold up. Does that mean that Caleb isn't going to play there? And then he tweets at Cliff Kingsbury, like, Hey, you know, whatever a dog. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I can't remember what he said. It was kind of a complimentary tweet, but um, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. But you know, Chicago is not a huge destination, you know, that's an organization that's been in shambles for so long. Um, we won't get into all of the details of yeah. the city, but I mean, I know several people that live up there and I know several people who used to live up there and it doesn't have the best reputation either as a, as a place to live, not trying to dog it and mm-hmm. just what it is. Um, so we're uh, we'll find out soon enough. If Chicago says, Hey, they're dead set on Caleb. And then all of a sudden the rumors start swirling. We know there was actually some truth to them. If we look at the Mm -hmm. horizontal board from the 33rd team one more time, Caleb Williams in that top tier of talent, they're they're basically got him, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Joe Alt, the left tackle uh, from Notre Dame, all in the same tier, the very top, the most valuable players in the draft. If you look at my early board, and again, it's not complete, but you can see Marvin Harrison Jr. has got a 2.3, and Caleb Williams has a 3.7. What that means is from 0 to 4.9, that's tier one on mine. So mine only has two players in that tier one, and the 33rd team has four players, and two of those four players are the two that's in my tier one. So uh, hands down, it seems like the consensus is Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this draft, better than Drake May, better than Jaden Daniels. So, uh, mm-hmm. Chicago, they go out there and pick him, and he he pulls an Eli Manning and says, no, I'm not going to play for you. That can make things really interesting. So, um, mm-hmm. do you know anything about that story, Carly, about Eli Manning, how he refused to play for the Chargers?
3: I don't actually know.
2: You get a chance if the, when the babies are down or whatever. <laughs> go to YouTube and just type in Eli Manning draft, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be able to find the NFL Films documentary on it. It is wild. Basically, Archie stepped in and was like, we don't want him playing for that organization because the Chargers had this bad reputation. So Mm -hmm. they ended up drafting him anyway, and then the Giants traded for him right after the draft. So Mm -hmm. they they did kind of a swap where they gave him Phillip Rivers, and uh, obviously Eli went to the New York Giants, so pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, Badger Trio says, I could see the Bears planning to take Junior, but tell teams they plan to draft Williams to force – A team to give up a ton—that'd be a good, a good strategy for sure. And uh, you know, I I don't know a whole lot about their GM. Trying to think of his name, but I know Bears fans think he's the second coming across. And I just don't see what he's done that's been so great. To be honest, we're talking about the Bears GM, but anyway. But imagine,
3: imagine if they did trade like that first-round pick for. I've I've heard some people saying, you know, could they get multiple first round picks or trade back to number three or whatever, and then end up with five first round picks for this year's draft? Like that would be insane. Boy, I would be weird. afraid of that. So I'd rather have them have Caleb Williams. As sad as I am for that boy, that they would ruin him just like they have <laughs> everybody else. <God>. Um, <laughs> I love it.
4: I love
3: anyway, no, that would be that'd be really interesting.
2: Badger Trio says Caleb Williams' dad sounds like that. I heard someone. I think McAfee kind of hinted at it today that his dad has been very vocal. Caleb Williams' dad has been very, very vocal, um, so he might kind of buck up like Archie did for Eli. Deadfish says John Elway would not play for Indy. That's another one too. John Elway refused to play for the Indianapolis Colts, so uh, they uh, they obviously uh, ended up having to work it out to where he ended up ended up in Denver. And you know, I was obviously the cost us a super bowl too but that's a story for a different day so um yeah there you go everybody's kind of chiming in now with it but we got to get out of here guys we're at an hour and 10 minutes this was a lot of fun carly thank you so much for hopping on this was awesome
3: yeah um, welcome. Any,
2: anything else you got or are we good
3: no no i'm good it's a good chat
2: cool the plan is we'll be back tomorrow morning for good morning lambo we'll bring you guys some uh some more information we'll probably um you know, again we got we got some stuff to talk about. You know, we just had two coaches pretty much get let go or take jobs somewhere else. So going to be two more voids cleared up there. We might, might get an answer to that too. If they're letting these people walk, then it tells me they've probably got, you know, two or three people in mind to replace them immediately. So we'll see if any interviews shake loose. I love it. I absolutely love it. Bob. You ought to see my Bobby. Bobblehead. This
3: is Bobby. This is Bobby.
2: It's Bobby. Why, why is his name Bobby?
3: Cause he's a bobblehead.
2: You go, yeah. You had me. All right, guys, we're out of here. Appreciate y'all. For those who are listening on the pod, thank you for making up a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go back up.
0: The power sweep. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Yes, our wide end or our tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet, to get an isolation with the with the linebacker, tell the tackle. Take the defensive end if he's over him. If he's not, to do drive down on the first man who is inside. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play where we're trying to get a to seal here, and a seal here, and try to run this place in the alley.